I, I think the only thing stranger than preaching to a camera in my basement for three months is preaching to you guys right now with these masks. Uh, but at least I can see if you're scowling at me. I don't, I don't have to look at that. <laughs> um, but, man, I, we, over the last three months, as we looked forward to wondering, and w- when is this day going to come where we can, as God's people, gather once again, and as God's people pray once again, as God's people uh, just receive, put ourselves under the waterfall of His mercy and grace, um, we, we thought it would be a time of celebration. Uh, but there's just a lot of heaviness in, in this world and what we've all been through over the last three months and what we've been through as a nation over the last week. And the Word of God is not silent on this. Uh, it actually instructs us how to move forward. One third or a quarter, four, sorry, 42 of the Psalms are Psalms of Lament. They were meant for God's people to acknowledge the brokenness in the world. They were meant, 12 of those are psalms of communal lament, where all of God's people would gather together and sit in the brokenness. I think in our happy-go-lucky American Christianity, we don't want to sit in the brokenness. But as I was reminded last night uh, by a friend that lament is actually a necessary step to healing. And so, before we open up the Word of God today, and I just want to say welcome if you're new here. I'm, I'm sorry this is, this is a little bit different. I'm sorry that these are the circumstances. We really are a much more friendly and welcoming community. Um, but hopefully someday soon we'll be able to shake your hand properly. I also want to say welcome to Redemption Castle Rock as they've come and joined us again today uh, as they're not able to get into their building yet. We just said, hey, would you just, you're our family, you're our sister church, would you just come and and spend some time with us? We would really love to see you. Uh, And so Matthew's going to actually be preaching next week and I'm really looking forward to that. Um, We launched them out in February. They got to get together for four weeks and they were going gangbusters. It was amazing. And then, well, we all know what happened from there. So it's just been a heavy time for them. Um, So I want to, before we do any announcements, before we open the word, before I preach, I want us to just uh, do three things together as God's people. I want us to lament. I want us to take some time to repent. I want us to then move to a time of asking God or supplication. Uh, Mark Robrock got, I I read uh, a blog of his last night on lament. He actually has a book coming out on lament or already has. He says this, we know as the people of God, the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. And yet we still experience pain and sorrow. Lament is the language for living between the poles of hard life and trusting God's sovereignty. It's a prayer from it's a prayer form for people who are waiting for the day Jesus will return and making everything right. Christians don't just mourn, we long for God to end the pain. So we're going to lament, we're going to repent, we're going to ask the Lord to intervene. We are the people of God. I am absolutely convinced that the hope of the world is the gospel of Christ entrusted to us. And so wherever and in every sphere, in every corner, I I want the, the word of God, the people of God to be present so that we can be a light in the darkness and in the brokenness. So 
We're just going to take a minute on your own to lament, where we mourn the brokenness of our lives and our world. Just a few things, uh, just as you think about lament, I would say lament the many that have suffered and died from COVID-19 and their families that are mourning with them in this moment right now. Lament the loss of jobs and economic insecurity many are facing. Lament the brokenness and sin of our national history and the racial divide and tensions we are facing in this moment as a country. Let us be a people of lament. So now just between you and God for a minute, take a moment to just sit in that and acknowledge to God, cry out to God, and ask and just say, this sucks. The psalmist often say, where are you, God? Where are you in this? Have you abandoned us? God's word itself gives us the freedom to lament. So take a minute and lament. And now we, as God's people, as Martin Luther said, the whole of the Christian life should be one of repentance. Where we turn from our sinful thoughts, attitudes, and actions. Where we turn from our sins of commission and omission. We are a church that champions right thinking, right theology. And part of that is understanding total depravity. When a London newspaper asked G.K. Chesterton, what is wrong with the world and other philosophers and pastors? His response was two words. I am. What is wrong with the world? I am. It starts here. That's the doctrine of total depravity. The other thing about the doctrine of total depravity is that uh, the sinfulness and brokenness of the world, it reaches into every uh, sphere, in every institution, into our school systems, into our uh, political systems, into our, uh, so, into our justice systems. There is brokenness because we live in a broken world. You cannot say there is no systemic injustice in this world until Jesus comes back. So we are, as God's people, just acknowledge that and we say it's broken, but we have the answer and the solution. And so we first repent. It's amazing to me that the one, two sins that that white evangelical Christians often say is not my sin. Greed? I'm not greedy. No one's, I've never met a greedy person. But they're okay if I preach on that. And the other sin, and sin's deceitfulness is Racism. Like, do we really think we're so far advanced spiritually that we have no, uh, no prejudice in our heart, no, no benefit from a system? No, like that is the height of arrogance. And so we first repent. It starts with us so that we can be the light into the world. This is how God wants to move through us. So, Take a moment to repent. Let me just suggest a few ways for the ways that we've trusted in ourselves and in our own wisdom in these days. 
for the ways that we've failed to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Let us repent for the ways that we've failed to love one another when it comes to our political positions and opinions. Let us repent for the ways our own attitudes and actions have failed to bring reconciliation to the world. So let's take some time and repent. And then finally, just as God's people, we have the great privilege to ask. Ask God to do his good work in us and through us in this world. And so we'll take a moment. Let me just, some things maybe we can ask for. Ask for healing, even a cure for COVID-19. The Lord invites us to ask for that. Ask for a growing trust in God in these uncertain times. Let us pray for our leaders at every single level our mayor, our governor, our president, our senate, our house, God's established means for giving us common grace. Let's pray for them. Let's pray for wisdom. Let's pray that they would be directed by his good hand. Let's pray for the people of God, empowered by the spirit of God and carriers of the light of God to lead the way in bringing peace, hope, and reconciliation in our country. So take some time. And ask God. You pray with me, Father. We come to you in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we are weak in and of ourselves. We're not up to the task. Our wisdom is limited. Our compassion is small. Our empathy is draining. But yours is not. So as your people, we desperately need to be filled by your Spirit with the power of your gospel to bring the hope and light that this world desperately needs. But do that work first in us and now. So we lament and we repent and we ask you, the cosmos creator, to fill us with your power. And as we turn our attention to your word now, I pray, Lord, that it would be just of you and by you and through you. Lord, if there's anything in this message that is not of you, I pray, Lord, that you'd shut my mouth. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would anoint the message that you would anoint individual points and phrases and even words that would encourage the saints today to be more like Jesus. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Zoe, I'll actually take that iPad. Thank you. Appreciate it. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can either turn to the, the Gospel of Matthew, 
We started this series at the beginning of the year called The King and the Kingdom, and we were looking at this series for a reason. We were looking at saying, in our divided political age, man, there's an election still coming up, and we thought that in January that would be the big news. Uh, and uh, we wanted to raise our minds and our affections above the, the mess, muck and the mire of this world to, to the king who is Jesus, who has brought his kingdom, his kind rule and reign on earth. And we just wanted to soak in that and had no idea how important uh, just following Jesus and, and soaking in his life, death, burial, and resurrection would be for us as a people. But we're in Matthew chapter 10 today. As you're working there, I want to show a couple pictures. You can't really see because of the light in the picture here, but I want to talk about uh, my friend Melody here. Melody, this was taken about 18 years ago. She's the redhead in the middle. Her brother is the tall redhead on the side. Uh, this, is, this picture is kind of a, even a miracle that it is, it's taken uh, these kids are all uh, missionary kids in Tunisia, in North Africa, 99% Muslim background area. Uh, I say it's a miracle because uh, Melody, when she was born, she was born with cystic fibrosis. Uh, that's a genetic disease that affects the lungs that uh, up until a couple dec- de- decades ago, many children didn't make it to two, three, four years old. Uh, it is a terminal disease, but with treatment, uh, they've been able to expand the average life to about 27. Uh, I saw even in America, 37 to 40 years old. Such so treatment can help. But uh, when Melody was born to her parents, uh, who are from England, they, they had a, a decision to make. The doctors immediately diagnosed Melody with cystic fibrosis. And so they said, do we go back to England where we can give our baby girl the treatment that she needs to maybe extend her life 10 years? Or do we stay in North Africa? And they felt like the Lord was calling them to stay. And so they named her Melody and they would pray that Melody would be a song for the people of North Africa. Her mom describes her as a cheeky, cheeky girl. And uh, how she... Uh, like many little girls, didn't like being alone, didn't like being alone in the dark. But Melody in particular just loved to always be with people. And, and so uh, when she was a, a little girl, she, she would beg her mom to stay in the bedroom. And, and her mom said, it's okay. Uh, God is with you. That's what the Bible says. God is with you. And Melody says, but I want someone with skin on. And, and so she continued to grow up. When, when she was 14 years old, she pondered aloud to her family, if I've lived half my life already, what do I want to do with the other half of my life? Do you ever ponder that? She did at 14. Well, she began to follow the Lord. She began to just grow in her relationship with the Lord. But, but the, the complications of the cystic fibrosis began to take their toll. In North Africa, not really great treatment, but she, she would go in for several times a week, sometimes every day of the week for hours at a time to, to get the treatment and get the, the breathing machine and all these things. And at first, uh, she resented it. Lord, why, why, I just want to be a little kid. I, I just, like you and I would resent it. But something happened in those moments on the ventilators and, and the treatments that uh, she, she turned those moments every day, those hours into times of worship. This is a teenage girl into worship. And she 
grew in her faith. Well, by the time she got, became a senior, it, uh, it got really bad, and they, they did need to go back to England for a while to get treatment so she could d- do that on her own, and she got that and got some more training, but, but then she felt called to, uh, to go back to North Africa. And they said, Melody, you know, they don't have... You're, you're cutting your life short if you go to North Africa. You got to stay here for treatment. She says, no, I want to be Jesus with skin on to the people of North Africa, particularly the youth of North Africa. And so in this picture, there's also something uh, interesting. So these missionary kids, uh, you've got her brother, the tall one, but right next to him is a, uh, is a boy named Jonathan. And actually, Melody uh, and Jonathan would get married. And they would serve the youth in North Africa. But the cystic fibrosis was taking its toll. So they would, she, she just loved to be a tangible, uh, feelable representation of Jesus in that land. And, and so they would have a youth event and she'd be wiped out for two or three days. Okay, in bed, can't get out. The, the reason I, I put Melody up here is because there, there is a, there's a temptation for us to just be like, Wow. That that is someone of incredible faith. The rest of us are just kind of over here with just little bitty kind of, I'm just trying to get by kind of faith. I don't even understand how, how someone can, can live like that to press on towards Jesus like that. There's just some people that are like extra credit superhero Christians and then there's the rest of us. That's the temptation that we might have. But this passage that we're going to look at today is going to show us that Melody isn't an outlier. Melody and her faith, her big outside the box, trust God in the, in the face of uncertainty kind of faith is not an outlier in, in biblical sense. It's where Jesus wants to take all of us. And don't we envy people like that? Don't we envy people that no matter what life throws at them, there's just a steady, quiet confidence in God? Don't we want to be there? Don't we want to be when, when pandemic comes or, or, or we lose our jobs or there's racial divide in our country? Don't we want to be rock solid, just peaceful in Christ? And so let's not just say uh, there's something wrong with Millie. She's either on something or needs to be on something. Let's say, man, that's, that's a place where Jesus wants to take all of us. And if you're a, a, a Christian, you need to know that, that there are a lot of versions of Christianity that have nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, a few of them I, I shared last week, if you watched the video, one is just that Jesus is merely concerned about getting you into heaven when you die. Jesus actually speaks very little about that and mostly speaks about the kingdom of God coming in and invading our lives here and now and forever and the impact of that forever. That's what Jesus talks about. Uh, Jesus didn't come to uh, make us good moral people. Though, though Christians are some of the most moral good people I know, but that's more a byproduct of submitting your life to God's rule and reign than his goal. Here's one that surprises a lot of people. Jesus didn't come to give us a pain-free, problem-free life. And sometimes even when we try to talk to people about Jesus, that's how we put it out. Oh, you've got problems in your life. You should come to Jesus. Your marriage is bad. You should come to Jesus. You've you, you got sickness. You should come to Jesus. Jesus never promised pain-free, problem-free life. In fact, in this passage, he's going to promise the opposite. And in fact, in this passage that we're going to look at, where, where Jesus talks about, I love Jesus because he's not like our politicians. 
Our politicians is follow my way. Doesn't matter where you're at on the political spectrum. Follow my way and it'll be utopia for the whole world. No downside. Jesus is like, you can follow me, but it's going to be really, really hard. In fact, uh, if you have your Bible, Matthew chapter 10, we're going to pick up the story here. Jesus is honest. And what it means to be a Christian is, is to be a follower of Jesus. That, that implies process. That implies time. That implies that you're actually making progress. That implies that you're going somewhere. That implies an increasing Christ-likeness. So last week, when we looked at it, it said Jesus, uh, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion. His heart, his guts, were like he got punched in the gut. He so loved the crowds. These are the crowds that are the rebels. These are the crowds that are, that, that are dead in their sins. These are the co- crowds that, that uh, have rebelled against God. But Jesus feels for them because he loves them. And Christians, if we're going to mature in Christ-likeness, in following Christ, that should be the mark of the church in these days. I don't think that's the mark of the American church in these days. You know what? Christians are just totally compassionate, loving people. But that's what it means to follow Jesus, to become more like him. That is what it means. But Jesus is honest, and he's going to give us kind of a a cost-benefit table in this thing. He's going to say, here's all the costs and here's the benefits. But here's the deal. On the surface, man, when, when, when you and I run the cost-benefit analysis of what he's going to show, it seems very, very costly. costly. In fact, at this point in Jesus' ministry, uh, everything is at its pinnacle as in terms of his popularity and the crowds. And his disciples are loving it. They're like, you're the Messiah. We're going to march into Jerusalem. Hey, Jesus, at the state dinner, uh, can you appoint me the secretary of state? Put me on your right and, and maybe him on your left. And Jesus is like, you don't understand what you're asking. But Jesus, everybody loves you and we're with you. So they're going to love us. This is going to be amazing, Jesus. I, let's, let's just go do it. It's like, you're not understanding how this is going to happen. This is why we should not ever try to make Christianity cool. Because if you try to make Christianity cool, you will skip Matthew chapter 10. Because it's not cool. But Jesus has a purpose and a plan. Not to lead us around pain and suffering, but to lead us through pain and suffering. To lead us to that place of absolute peace and confidence in who he is. So let's pick it up. I won't read all of it, but I'll work our way through it. We'll pick it up in verse 16. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he says, behold, pay attention. Look, look what's up. He says, I am sending you out. And they're like, all right, let's do it. We're sending, you just gave us your power and your authority. That's what's happened here earlier in chapter 10. And you're sending us out. That's, that's awesome. Let's, let's go. I'm sending you out. And then he says, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Matthew, who's one of the disciples who writes this at this point, puts down his pencil. He's like, excuse me? What, what do you mean as sheep in the midst of wolves? That, that, doesn't, that sounds like something, something bad, Jesus. He goes on. So be wise as serpents and innocent as, as doves. And again, Matthew's writing like, I, I don't even know what that means. Wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Okay. Verse 17, beware of men. Why? Jesus, all the men love us. 
Because we're with you. And everybody loves you. Do you see there's thousands of people that come out to be with you, Jesus. Why are you telling us to beware of men? That, that's crazy. This doesn't make sense, Jesus. Beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. At this point, they're like, what are you talking about? You're the Jewish Messiah. Why would Jewish people flog us? And by the way, that is no joke. That's like you're never going to the beach again. You can't take your shirt off. That, you have permanent marks. Oh, you broke the law. Yeah, I did. So I got flogged. Like, this is terrifying. This doesn't make any sense. So far in the cost-benefit analysis, it's all cost. And it's a heavy cost. They will flog you in the synagogues and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Like what? Dragged? Again, put that in the cost category. 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious. Okay, okay, why? Why should we not be anxious? This, okay, this sounds like it's going to go in the benefit category. Let's see. Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. There's the benefit. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus, Jesus, you're saying we're going to be arrested. You're saying we're going to be flogged. You're saying we're going to be thrown into prison. And you're saying God's going to be involved in all that. The Father's going to be involved in all that. And he's like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Jesus, if God is involved in all that and he's willing to give me the words to say in that moment, that's actually the last thing that I really want in that moment. How about I just not get flogged? Can God do that? How about I just not get arrested? Can, can God do that? I, I don't really think words are my most uh, urgent need in this moment. But nonetheless, that's how Jesus puts it in the benefit category. He says, uh, brother will deliver brother over to death and the father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is now crazy. It's, it's not just the, the rulers. It's not just the government authorities. It's family. There's going to be family division. There's going to be uh, others putting others to death in their family. And by the way, this is a very common occurrence in the world today. Our friends that work in the Muslim background world, when, when one of them comes to Christ, they lose their family. And if one of them gets baptized, their own family will often put a target on their head to have them killed for the dishonor. This is happening in our world today. In the last week, dozens of our Nigerian brothers and sisters in Christ have been put to death. This is a reality in this world. And Jesus is not only talking to his disciples who will go through a lot of this, but he's talking to all who would be disciples says, uh, all, be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. There's a, uh, uh, one in the benefit category. But again, it seems kind of heavily weighted. If you drop down to uh, verse 38, he kind of is summarizing everything that he's going to. He says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
Again, this is too familiar language to us. But this is the first time Jesus has told his disciples, you must take up your cross. You, you want to be my follower? You take up a cross. And that doesn't just mean like, oh man, I have a tough marriage or my job is hard. No, this is full on self-denial. They knew what it meant. It meant not just death, but absolutely denial of our own pursuit and our own lives to death on a cross. The Roman torture instrument. So again, put that in the cost category. And the costs seem really, really high at this point. He says, for whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's a, a loss to life and there's a gaining of life. So where's the benefit? What, why is Jesus telling all this? Because here's the deal. When Jesus starts talking like this, the tens and thousands that are following him, they take off. Like, that's too expensive. That's too much. That, that, that's crazy. There's no way we're going to follow you. But Jesus has good purposes. Drop down to verse 26. So have no fear. Have no fear. This is the second time he said that. Have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed. Or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear. This is the third time. Do not fear. Look what he says. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Do you see Jesus' grand crescendo argument? It's like, what are you worried about? The worst they can do to you is kill you. That's the worst thing they can do to you. And we're all like... Yeah, that's the worst that they can do to us, Jesus. That, what do you mean? Well, how is that even an argument? Because Jesus has something else to say to that. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says that there is something more terrifying than the authorities hanging you on a cross. There there is a God who created the universe. There is a greater fear that can displace all other fears. This has actually been on repeat already in this gospel. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, hey, why do you worry about what you eat or what you will drink or... or, Well, I'll just read it. (laughs) Or what you will drink or what you will wear. Verse 32, for the Gentiles seek after these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added as well. So he goes on in this passage. It says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He wants to replace your temporary earthly fears, no matter what they are, economic, uh, health, relational. He wants to replace those with an awe-inspiring vision and view of God in your life. And so he's saying, I'm willing to take you through persecution and flogging and abandonment and and, and all these things so you can get to a point where God is enough. Psalm 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you? Earth has nothing I desire except for you. That's a place to get to that I don't think any of us are at right now. Earth has nothing I desire 
Except for you, this is where Jesus is trying to lead us. This is why Jesus doesn't lead us around pain and suffering, but he leads us through pain and suffering so that we can get to that place of a greater fear and a greater awe and a greater security in who God is. We saw this again in, in Matthew chapter 8 when the storm came up and Jesus is sleeping and, and they, they think they're going to perish and they're like, Jesus, we're going to die? And he's like, so what? They're like, what do you mean, so What? We're going to die. He's like, why are you afraid? He's, he's trying to raise uh, our affections, raise our eyes to something greater than even the worst this life has to throw at us. Do you ever meet anyone like that? Do you ever know anybody that just has that? I mean, I talked about Melody, but like just those people that, man, no matter what life throws, it's because they followed Jesus and they've probably followed Jesus through a, a trail of pain and suffering in their lives. This is what Jesus, this is in the American church we want to avoid at all costs, but this is not what Jesus wants to avoid because he wants to bring us to that place of absolute peace, absolute confidence in who he is. The apostle Paul was like this. He was a persecutor of the followers of Christ and putting them to, to death. And one day he was going to Damascus and we read about this in Acts chapter 9. Jesus shows up, knocks him off his horse, blinds him and says, Paul, you're going to be my follower now. And I'm going to show you how much you must suffer. And Paul will suffer. Well, for the first 13 years, we don't hear anything about his life. I think he's just learning what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And he's following Jesus. And his family have rejected him. He's lost everything for the sake of Christ. But he's following Jesus. And eventually, Jesus sends him out to tell the world about Jesus. And he invites people to follow Jesus. And and people start to follow Jesus. And he establishes these churches in Ephesus and Galatia and Philippi. And he begins to write letters to them to encourage them to persevere. And two-thirds of our Bible is now because a follower of Jesus so captured by this view that Jesus is better than anything this world can throw at you. Well, he he would write. He would go on to write. Uh, uh, letters to, to, to persecuted Christians, to, to Romans, and, and um, I'll look at that in a minute, but, but I want to just pause and ask the question, why is this such a big deal? Why is trust and faith in God the central thing, especially throughout the Bible, but in the New Testament? Why faith? I think there's many reasons why God is, in this moment right now, inviting you to take a step of faith. Why is that? I think, first of all, is that faith, when we exercise faith, we honor our Heavenly Father when we trust Him. It's about honoring God. Every parent knows this. Like if I hear my kids off of the side and, and they're saying, well, um, I don't know what's going to happen, but my dad said this and I believe my dad's going to be true to his word. I believe he's going to do that. That honors me in that moment. When they were little kids learning how to swim and they were terrified of the water and I'm in the water, I'm saying, you, you can jump, you can do it. Uh, and they had to fight their, their fear with faith and, 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 and sometimes they did and sometimes they didn't. But every now and again, they would jump into the pool, into my arms and they would see that I am there for them. They exercised faith. So what did I do? I didn't say, well, there you go. We're good. You're a swimmer now. No, I took a step back. Okay, come on in. This time you're going to go under the water. You're going to go under the water. But it's okay. I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be here for you. And and sometimes it'd be like 20 minutes of crying on the side of the pool. They wanted to do it, but they didn't want to do it. And I said, come on, come on. And when they would do it, it honored me. 
And I'd get back further. I said, this time you're going to go under and you're going to have to swim to me. And they're like, I can't do it, Daddy. I can't do it. You can do it. You can do it. This is what God is doing when he is inviting us to trust him. It honors him. I, I think the other thing that we see in this passage that Jesus shows us is that uncertainty is certain. Fearful is optional. If we've learned anything about 2020, is uncertainty is a certainty. I said to someone the other day, I said, one thing that I would not want to do right now is take a time machine three years into the future. I, I just don't want to do that. Like, have, I have no desire. The, things, the way things are going, that just seems crazy. Uncertainty is certain. But Jesus says, yeah, that's going to be true in your life. In all of us. You're going to get a call someday. You're, you're going to lose a job. You're going to have a broken relationship. There is going to be a bunch of uncertainty. But in that moment, fearful is optional. If you've got an awe of who God is, a true fear of God, in that moment, you can have a quiet hope confidence and peace. And then third, <coughs> I think the reason why faith is such a big, I, big deal in the New Testament is that confidence in Christ frees us to love others. When you are rock solid in your, and secure in who you are in Jesus, you can do what Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for them. Jesus, I don't even pray for my friends. Like, you want me to pray for my enemies and love them? And Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he doesn't do for us. While we were sinners, while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. So love your enemies. But only when you get to a place of absolute peace and confidence in who God is, who Christ is, can we do that. Well, the Apostle Paul, let me go back to him. He would write letters. And he would write a letter to the Romans to a passage that is uh, quite familiar with us. But in this letter, listen to what he says. In Romans 8, 28, he says, And we know that for those who love God, you say, whoa, 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 Paul, no, you know, no, I know. How, how do you know? I've been down the road. I've followed Jesus far enough. And I can say with 100% confidence, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Drop down to verse 38. It says, is that 38? Yeah. For I am sure, I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He wrote this and it has encouraged the saints in Rome, which, which was not a safe place to be, by the way. There was nowhere safe in the first century, but especially Rome. But this has encouraged the saints throughout the generations. He, that's an all-inclusive, exhaustive list. And so we can add our own for, to that list. I, I added mine. For I am sure that neither global pandemics, nor quarantine, nor economic collapse, nor racial strife, nor Republicans in the House, nor Democrats in the Senate will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I know you got masks on, but that's the time to say amen. Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, then Jesus says, it's okay. Follow me. When the disciples first heard these words from Jesus, they weren't there. It takes time. We could be patient with one another, but this is where we want to go, where we 
have confidence in God. I want to return to Melody. In fact, I want to read something that my wife had the privilege of writing. In March 2020, Melody came down with a fever that stayed resistant to various antibiotics. Her weakened body required hospitalization, and she entered an intensive care unit in Tunis, just as the unprecedented lockdown from COVID-19 spread across the globe. Ivan and Verena, her parents, who had moved to Britain, could not travel to be someone with skin on at her bedside. Sadly, even her husband, Jonathan, and her brother were prevented from being with her because of the COVID-19 precautions in place at the hospital. As her family and friends experienced a great sense of helplessness, the body of Christ took up prayer for Melody like never before. Many gathered virtually, some taking turns in prayer through the night. Her mother received the peace she needed to go to sleep. Two COVID-19 tests resulted negative, but but Melody's pneumonia intensified in spite of several powerful intravenous antibiotics. She was intubated and was then unconscious and on the ventilator. The kind, the kind hospital staff allowed her family to finally see her on a video call. Verena read to her some verses of John 10, reminding her that Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for her and no one could snatch her out of his hands. She was 27 years old on that day and two days later she died. In her grief... Melody's mom, Verena, looked at her last text from Melody. She had written out of the blue on March 6, I'm memorizing Romans 8, 35-39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Jesus our Lord. This is when Verena grasped that while she could not be there for Melody with skin on, it was the Holy Spirit who com- would comfort her. And nothing could separate her daughter from him. God had prepared Melody's heart with Romans 8 ahead of time. So that when people with skin on were withheld from her, he would be enough. One thing I just want to point out about her story. Again, she's not an outlier. That is the place that Jesus wants to lead all of us. A place of peace and hope and joy and confidence in him. But did you notice... Melody fueled her soul with the word of God, the people of God, by the spirit of God. When when life was really, 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 really bad, that's where she went. I say this to myself as much as I say it to anyone else here. We've got to stop discipling ourselves by the world and the things that fuel our fear. The news cycle, the channels, The social media feeds, the Twitter, all of that can stir up an anxiety and a fear that is not of God. If we're going to follow Jesus, 
then it must be the word of God, the people of God, and the spirit of God. And that's what the world desperately needs in this moment. They need a people of quiet confidence and peace that can love their enemies and pray for them, that they can go out and point them to the only hope that the world has. To that end, let me pray for us. Father, we come to you once again in the name of your Son and the power of your Spirit. Lord, you're inviting us to follow you and all of us are at different points in that journey and none of us have arrived and all of us have brokenness. We've we've already said that. but Lord, we want to be in that place with a greater fear that even when someone threatens our very life, we have no fear. We have only confidence in you. Jesus, I pray that we would be a people at Redemption Parker that feed ourselves with the word of God, the spirit of God, and the people of God, especially in these days. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.